Welcome to What the Foster, a podcast dedicated to giving a voice to the voiceless. This season, we're focusing on the often unheard and invisible population of current and former youth in foster care. What the Foster is produced by Umbrella, a New Jersey foster care nonprofit. I'm your host, Frank. Today, we have a story featuring Casey, a youth born to a drug-addicted mother and adopted out of care, only to be removed again when her adoptive parents took discipline too far. The remarkable thing about Casey is that despite her experiences, she seems to maintain connections even with people who've hurt her. Here is Casey's story in her own words. My name is Casey Getty, and I currently work for Foster Club as a policy specialist. And I spent seven years in New Jersey's foster care system um, from age 14 to 21. Born into foster care, um, and then I was adopted at age two, but I was at my adopted parents' house when I was like five months. Um, So my mom was addicted to drugs, um, and so that's why. And so they had found it in my system. And yeah, I lived with them for until 14, so. Nationally, more than 35% of children in care are removed due to parental drug or alcohol abuse. But for Casey, her birth mother's drug abuse was just her first episode in the foster care system. When she was 14, she was removed again from her adoptive home due to allegations of physical and emotional abuse. When an adopted child re-enters the foster care system, the adoption is considered disrupted. Between 10 and 20% of adoptions in the United States end in disruption. Again, like a long time I didn't realize that the stuff that they did wrong mm-hmm. was wrong, but um, is it damaging? Yes, there are still like, like I don't eat cereal anymore because of some of the things that they would do. Um, like, So they were like those type of parents that didn't like to waste anything. If Casey did not eat her breakfast, her parents would save it for her. Okay, well, if you're not going to eat it for breakfast, you can eat it for lunch, oh or you can eat it for dinner. Right. And if you didn't eat it for dinner, then it was like, okay, well, you can eat it for breakfast the next day. Wow. And it would sit out. Sometimes they would put it in a refrigerator, and I do not eat cereal anymore because of that. Um, so it's those kind of things um, that have left scars. However, at 14, Casey didn't fully understand why her family was being torn apart. So the reason that it took me a very long time to understand that the things that my parents did were not okay was because it was like discipline to us. Some of those things were um, like standing um, in a corner for long periods of time, like long periods of time, like these you came home from school like you had to do your homework and then stand in the corner until it was time for dinner and then after um, dinner you would have to go back to standing um, until it was time to go to bed. For Casey the abuse looked like discipline. Being raised that way however made it difficult to understand that this was not acceptable. Probably not until I was like 17, 18 years old. Yeah far removed from it because I, I thought it was just discipline like, I still love them I mean not every parent's discipline is going to be the greatest um, and I do believe that the prevention services that 
we have now, we didn't have back then. Casey and her siblings were removed in 2006. Today, DIFUS is known as DCF, the Department of Children and Families. As an editor's note, in 2012, DIFUS became known as DCPNP, or the Department of Child Protection and Permanency. Casey's story takes place well before the DCF changeover, which was also part of a number of larger systemic reforms. We'll discuss some of those changes in a later episode, but for now, it's important to keep in mind that stories like this are instrumental in driving real change. Back in 2006, however, Casey knew little of the foster care system. Like, it wasn't like, oh, well, let's try to give them some parenting classes right. or let's do therapy before we do a removal. It was like, let's do therapy after. Right. That's not going to, I mean, it can work, but the likelihood of that working after being, now you got five kids that have been traumatized. Right. Yeah. Casey believes that her family should have had more support from the state before removal. But back then, there was not yet an understanding that prevention services were really the most crucial step to caring for these children. And Casey thinks that this is one of the biggest problems with her story. She told us that her family was going through some difficult times in the month leading up to the removal. There were other things that played a part to it. So there were five of us, like my parents, they adopted five children. Some of us had more behavioral issues than others. Foster youth experience behavioral issues at a greater rate than the general population. This can include anxiety, depression, developmental delays, bedwetting, sleep disorders, and more. When these issues crop up, it can be difficult for parents to know how to handle. This can be especially the case for well-meaning but unprepared adoptive parents. Adoption disruption can occur when the children's needs become more than the adoptive parents are prepared to handle. Um, and so it was difficult to deal with that. And then what the state didn't understand is that they, she had went through like a really hard time. So like, um, it was probably about a year prior, maybe two years prior to that. So like my mom had gotten E. coli and, um, I don't even know how she got it. And Casey's mother was in the hospital for about a month. Her treatment required the use of a colostomy bag. However, complications arose when doctors scheduled the removal of the colostomy bag. But when they went to go do the reversal, um, the doctor accidentally took out her kidney, the only kidney that she had at that. After this mistake, doctors replaced the kidney. However, the effects of that mistake would have a lasting impact on Casey's mother and her ability to care for the children. After all of that, Dyfus arrived on Casey's doorstep and started her next episode in foster care. Being the primary caregiver at home, my mom, she was a stay-at-home mom, and my dad was, he worked. Um, and so when the primary caregiver is in the hospital, and now the worker, the person who works, my dad all the time is now has to take off from work and not only deal with his wife being in the hospital, but five kids right. would not, like we, they had support, but it wasn't like 
a lot of support um and it's difficult trying to find the right support um yeah that played a part into it all it, it's damaging to a family like to have to and you don't understand like why your mom is in the hospital or what's going on and when is she coming home and, and then you don't get to see her either so it's like what do you do so those were things that happened prior and so I don't feel like the department gave them a fair chance because I know they were aware that they had to go to court and I think they might have notified my mom the day before that she had to go and she was like there's no possible way that I'm going to be able to go to court like my husband works um he just can't take off of work and everybody knows how long it takes to when you go I've been to court multiple yeah. times when I had to go for my um permanency hearings and stuff like that mm -hmm. it takes literally all day who's going to be home to get the kids off the bus or who's going to be here when the kids get home? She didn't, they didn't go. And that's why they removed us. It was very confusing. Um, it was like, why are we being removed? And then why can't we go home? Um, now why we didn't go home is another story. I don't, I don't know why. I never, I don't know. Okay. Yes, they are still my parents. They still... They still have, they supported me through my entire time through care. Um, yeah, and they just always remained my, my parents. When siblings are placed together, it helps children maintain important support systems that benefit them during this time of trauma. But there can be barriers to placing every sibling group together. Large groups like the Gettys would be hard to find a single home for, and with their different needs, not every home would be a perfect fit for all. As we'll see in further episodes, older children are harder to place. People fostering tend to want babies and infants. Casey's family, with its large number of differing needs and age differences, was unlikely to find a single home to house all of the children. I remember it like yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like a day that you like really never forget. Um, and my sister, she had just left to go to the school military ball. And um, my dad had went to go drop her and her date off there. And so I was at home with my other siblings, um, with my uh, two brothers and my other younger sister. And um, there was a knock at the door. And it was the department, um, along with human services police and when my mom had asked like what they were there for, they said that they were here to remove remove us. Um, and so I went upstairs and I called uh, my childhood best friend that lived down the street and told her what was happening and that we were leaving and they were here to take us away. And um, my mom had came upstairs and said to pack our clothes for the weekend and that uh, we would be back and what was supposed to be a weekend stay turned into like seven years. Yeah. So um, we all got in a van and we went to the hospital. And we were at the hospital for a very long time because they're not, the hospital is not trying to prioritize physicals of kids that just been removed. Um, so yeah, we got physicals done and uh, wow. 
watch my siblings be dropped off. And then I got to my foster home at like one o'clock in the morning. And so um, eventually my two younger brothers were adopted together. Um, and so they lived together. Um, my, my younger sister was adopted and then me and my older sister, we, um, we just stayed in the system because of our age at that point in time. Um, like my parents had gave up their uh, parental rights mm. to the younger three because it was just like, it was like, what else can they do right. at this point? And so yeah, I never lived with any of my siblings again. Um, I never lived at home again. Now my siblings, they have gone back to live at home after, um, like, after they've turned 18 or mm -hmm. stuff, they've gone back to live there, um, but I never went back. This is where we'll leave off for this week. Next week, we'll follow Casey as she shifts from home to home, even becoming involved with a foster care agency, which would become famous for the negligence and mismanagement that plagued its offices. Here's a little clip of what to expect next week on What the Foster. But she had these times where it was just like, she would turn. <laughs> like It was like a totally different person and she would like curse us out and stuff like that. Yes. And yeah, it was a lot of crazy stuff going on. And one day um, I was not following directions and I went over to my boyfriend's house that lived across the street and she had called me on the phone and she was like yelling at me and so I got mad and then she told me to come outside and I did um literally like tackled me like we was in the NFL yeah wow. like we were in the NFL and now here's an important census PSA census 2020 starts on April 1st Census counts determine federal funding for foster care, schools, and more. The census is only done every 10 years, so kids who aren't counted in this year's census will miss out on 10 years of resources that they could have had. That's why it's so important to count your foster children and grandchildren who live with you when you complete the census. Census data is confidential by law. You can help make sure all kids are counted by sharing this information in your community. Tell them, we're foster families and we count. This is a message from Umbrella, a foster care nonprofit in New Jersey.